Howdy, howdy. Hello. It's Ed Gallo. This is Wrestling for MMA. I'm going to be talking about UFC 259 a decent amount here. Almost entirely. Yeah, yeah, pretty much entirely about Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan, uh, which is what I spent most of the last podcast previewing. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, or read my article on Bloody Elbow, or any of my panels or podcasts on the fight site other than this one, you will know that I saw it coming. Pretty much everything, except for the knee. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. But otherwise, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, so it's going to be a nice, nice, happy podcast where I get to gloat and talk about all the cool stuff that happened in that fight. And if you want to watch me watch it, listen to me watch it, uh, you can go to either the podcasting platforms and find a video of the fight and listen along the commentary that I did with the Shriram. Or if you want to watch the fight, with video, you know, in my commentary if you don't want to find video, uh, subscribe to the fight site on Patreon. Only $3 will get you access to all of our exclusive content, including four commentaries from the past UFC card. We did Benavidez Askarov, we did Cruz Kenny, we did Jan Sterling, and we did uh, Blachowicz uh, versus Adesanya, so check those out for sure. And there's my ad. That's it. No more selling you things. Except for me being a genius. That's basically what I'll be selling you the entire podcast. <laughs> I I don't think the reads were like that insane to pick up. Basically, I just said he was going to do the exact same things as a wrestler that he did to uh, Magomed Magomedov in their rematch. And I, I swear, he did almost everything he did in that fight in this fight. And the reason why that was not a hot take, but disputed was because... In a lot of Yun's UFC fights, he's put himself in bad positions and not really fought in a way that was prioritizing not being wrestled. So people were getting in on him, people were trying to wrestle him, people were taking him down, and you know people were saying, oh my god, look at this, got taken down by John Dodson, got taken down by Jin Su-sun, there's no way he's going to beat this big scary grappler, Aljamain Sterling, and I, I just knew because I'd seen him fight a grappler and wrestler Oh, God, <laughs> a grappler and wrestler before. You know, like, look, he fights differently. He does different things. He prioritizes his defense as a wrestler. He has a different approach for it. And uh, he matches up really well with Sterling with that approach. So I knew, I told people, this guy's not getting taken down. If he is, it's like once or twice. It won't be significant. He's not getting beat in the clinch. And uh, he's going to put Sterling on the back foot, and he's not going to have too much trouble. I will say, though, that the small cage definitely changed things just because Sterling's super high volume output and Peter Young's use of the high guard made it hard not to move backward at all. So there was definitely, especially round two, uh, moments where he did get put on the cage. I think round one, actually, the first takedown, uh, Sterling's only takedown, <laughs> Sterling's only takedown of the fight was in the first round against the cage. I also talked about that, that Sterling's best offense is on the cage. As a wrestler, he's got a good double there, uh, very strong. And that's a position where I think he could do well. And I would think, I would say all of his best moments as a wrestler and grappler in that fight came on the cage. So that was right. <laughs> I also, I did a, a breakdown of Sterling's wrestling very in-depth uh, before the Sandhagen fight. So I knew. I knew what he did well, and I knew what Jan did well. So I think that's why it was so easy to pick up the, the reads on the wrestling and grappling matchup, because I knew exactly how that was going to go. The striking, I didn't really have any idea of what that would look like. I just knew that Jan was better <laughs> and that Sterling has some holes defensively, uh, despite having a lot of good ideas. And I, I just want to 
give lots of credit to Aljamain Sterling right now because he did an awesome job. I, I liked the way he approached this fight. I liked the way he, you know, was level changing into, you know, putting the forearms up and, and attacking the body and uh, tried to manipulate Yonsgar. And uh, the volume kicking was great. Uh, strike selection was great. I really liked the front snap kick to the body. That really exploited Jan's defense. Uh, kicking at the legs. Uh, he, he was doing a really great job uh, all around. It's just that the wrestling was such an uphill battle. And that was really how he was going to have to win the fight. Because a five-rounder on the feet with Peter Jan is a nightmare. And you're going to have to be able to slow him down and control large stretches of the fight. But continuing to have to do that, having to keep grappling with him, having to keep clinching with him, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. So, it, like I said, in, in the panel, I said it a bunch of times, uphill battle, uphill battle, such a tough fight. He has so much to overcome to get the, the fight that he needs. So, that happened. Uh, and he had some success wrestling with him a little bit in the beginning, but yeah, his arms started to tire out from having to push this insane pace, this crazy strategy of having to volume him, which was always the way he was going to have to win uh, if he didn't you know, take his back quickly and choke him out, which... Again, I, I didn't see that happening because despite people getting angles on Jan's back frequently in UFC, who's taking his back? Uh, no one. Maybe one person one time. Uh, in ACB, uh, Magomedov took his back in the first fight and then didn't get even close <laughs> in the second fight. So that also speaks to how a rematch might go with these two, that... Uh, Jan's only going to get better from that look, and Sterling can't change much, honestly. He needs to do that. That's how he has to fight. And I... Okay, before I get into any more technical details, I, I do want to talk about this. Uh, we're definitely going to cover this in more depth in the future uh, on the fight site. We're going to do a podcast about toughness. I think toughness is a very interesting subject. I think it's, gets, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Obviously, I'm from the wrestling community, and toughness is something you hear every single day. Um, it, it's one of the key tenets of the sport in America is being tough, being mentally tough. And there's there's pros and cons to that. But I, I don't think MMA fans have a good definition of what that means. Uh, because MMA is a sport where people get beat up. So everybody is tough in MMA. I agree with that. Everyone's tough. But <laughs> just like people like to say about fighting, you know, there's levels to toughness. Uh, I think the base level of toughness is, you know, being tough enough to get in there uh, let's get past that how about being tough enough to to get beat up and not quit and not you know say i, I want to stop getting beaten up and tap out sure i think that's also an overrated type of toughness um if you're if you're done you can be done i, I don't think there's any problem with being done and i think a lot of guys get praised for staying in the fight and just taking their beating and seeing how long they can stick around and how much damage they can take and not really putting up much of a fight or even trying and I, I don't see the point in that why would we think that's good that someone can just get beat up and not do anything why are you getting beat up there's no point stop that it's like it's hubris at that, at that point you just want to protect your ego like oh i didn't get finished i know because i'm the same way <laughs> I, I all the time in, in wrestling and grappling and striking uh sometimes when i'm really badly outmatched or i'm exhausted i just kind of know that i can take it and I'm like, ah, screw it. <laughs> I want to last the rest of the round. I don't want to. I just want to lose on points. I don't want to get pinned or, or submitted. And uh, I, I can hold on. I can. I can take a quite a beating. Uh, so in that sense, I'm tough. But I don't consider myself tough because that's not actual 
the higher level of mental strength. That's not what it means. It's not what it means to be tough. What it means to be tough is what Aljamain Sterling did. What Aljamain Sterling did was exhaust himself immediately pursuing this crazy game plan, and he just did not stop. He didn't stop. Um, he was getting nailed, he was getting countered, he's getting out-wrestled, he's getting discouraged left and right, embarrassed with like the Osoto Gari, uh, the outside trips, like what DC called a choke slam. Uh, he was getting clowned in a lot of these situations, and he just did not stop. And he kept pushing his game plan, and he just kept taking a beating, but in between the beating, he kept trying to win. He kept trying to win. He didn't stop trying to win. Compare that to Uriah Faber versus a lot of people. Faber is someone that gets called tough a lot. I'm like, I think he's durable. I think he has a lot of pride. I don't think he's mentally tough. I think he quits trying to win fights all the time and just looks to skate by. It's happened a bunch of times. Maybe this is a hot take. I don't know, but I, I really feel that way, that that's not real mental strength. Uh, Aljamain Sterling is, is real mental strength. That was insane. Uh, I, I've never seen <laughs> anything like that, really. Um, there are fights like Aldo Mendez 2, or like Lawler McDonald 2, or like Stipe Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos. There, there's a ton of wars, you know, things that people call wars in MMA, where it's like a five-rounder, and it's super crazy pace, and they're both taking damage, and they're both... You know, momentum shifting back and forth. You know, that takes a lot of toughness. Or fights where, you know, it was downhill one way for a long time and the other person comes back strong because they kept pushing their game plan and it worked out. Um, that's amazing as well. I like stuff like that. Um, I, I think those are the true displays of toughness. But Sterling, I think he was less competitive in this fight than some people do just because of the volume approach. It was, gonna, it was always going to look like he was doing better than he was because he can't block everything. But... How can you know which strikes matter more than others? How do you know what affects a person? You know what I mean? Like with Jan, optics favored him big time. Every time Jan hits Sterling, you're like, oh my god, uh, that, that hurt him, that stung. Uh, whereas Jan was able to tank everything. The body shots, the knees, the head, you know, pretty much everything. He, he was able to you know, shrug off pretty simply. Uh, other than the low kicks, which put him, he like buckled his leg a little bit, which... You know, just eye test, you can tell it hurts, but uh, it just seemed like Sterling wasn't bothering him much, and, you know, the success he had on the feet wasn't going to matter, because Jan pressuring him harder and in the momentum snowballing was was an inevitability, because Sterling knew he, you know, despite whatever successes he was having on the feet, he had to keep trying to take him down, and that was going to cost energy, and energy is finite. He was going to run out, and he did. Um... But he kept going. He tried anyway. And, you know, I, I can't blame him for, you know, sitting on his butt for long periods of time or, you know, you know staying on his back or you know, pulling guard into leg lock entries. You know, those those are kind of desperation tactics. But, you know, take your breaks. I don't think you have to be going 100% the whole time to be tough. Um, he, he, he was trying to win. You know, he's conserving energy so he could try to do more, do more stuff. Uh, he didn't want to give up. So I, I have so, so much respect for Aljamain Sterling. And quickly to touch on the way the fight ended, obviously, I'm speaking about it like it was a win for Jan. Um, certainly Jan beat him up, and it's, it, there's no question who was winning that fight, despite one judge having a card for Sterling, which I think they need to reevaluate how they... everything. <laughs> they need to have a, a long, hard talk with themselves. But yeah, the fight ended via illegal knee, and... If you watch the fight back, there are two or three moments that are similar to that one, where Sterling is getting up off the ground, 
Jan has a lot of pressure on him. Jan lets off the pressure to let him start getting back up, and that's where he times the knee. This one was a lot different, obviously. Sterling was already on the ground, static for a few seconds. You know, Jan was pushing down his head, and he looked over to his corner, and there was some sort of communication. And then he, like, started to let off with his arms a little bit, and then just immediately fired off the knee. Uh, so that was poor timing. That was a poor choice. I... I sort of get it. I sort of understand why you would do that. Um, like why why there would be just kind of a reflex instinct and like that fight was just all autopilot, automatic reactions because of the volume, because of the pace. It was crazy. Um, they didn't have time to think about stuff. But you know, in that moment where there's a, a break, I I understand where your brain might get get mixed up. But whatever the communication was in the corner, they did a bad job because I uh, Iggy who works for the fight site. Uh, who speaks Russian, said they were telling him to strike. <laughs> so he said, what do I do? And they said, strike him. And he said, okay. And he kneed him in the head. And that was probably a bad idea. So yeah, he got disqualified, rightfully so. And I think the knee hurt Sterling. I think it was, you know, a, a big shot. One of the biggest shots they took in the fight. He also got knocked down a couple times in this fight. So consider that he was already concussed. And this, the time that they allowed between him getting hit with the knee and when they started to ask him if he could continue, uh, he had time to cool down and for the adrenaline to wear off and for him to realize that, oh my god, I just got my ass kicked so hard. Um, you know what I mean? It, it, you don't realize it right away. I, I, ca I can't compare to that at all. Uh, but I've had times like in competitions or something like that where I had my arm hyperextended and then my next match was really quick afterward and I was still warm and things were going well, and then there's a break in the action. Specifically, I went to overtime, and there's a break in the action between regulation and overtime, and that's when I cooled off a little bit, and that's when I noticed my arm was just done, and uh, yeah, I lost. Uh, I'm terrible. I suck. Anyway, sa similar deal. Like, when you cool down, you, all the damage starts to set in, and you start to realize, like, oh my god, and the momentum. Anyone who, like, runs or does, does a lot of cardio... You can probably relate to this where you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're, you're really past your limits in terms of cardio, but if you just don't stop, you can keep going. I think we've all been there. And I think that's where Sterling was at, where he was just, his arms were so dead. You could see it was so hard for him to use his arms, and Jan was not respecting anything he was doing with his hands. Uh, but he just kept going. He's like, I have to keep going. The look on his face is just like zombie mode, is don't stop trying to do stuff. And when there's a break like that, when you stop, that's when that's when you're cooked. You can't start again. Um, so regardless of whether or not the knee did it, there was no way he was going to continue. Uh, and I do not blame him because that strike was very illegal and it definitely hurt him. And you, there is no pressure on him to continue in that situation. He should not have, and he didn't. And the win is justified. But he didn't, you know, he didn't beat up Peter Jan. He 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 got beat up. So <laughs> I don't really care about the official result that much. I'm just going to carry on uh, with Jan having the win momentum, even though he, he robbed himself of it officially. And if you have an issue with that, I'm sorry. Um, but just know I don't I don't care that much. <laughs> it's, just, it's not that important. But yeah, I, I have tons of respect for Alge. I'm not going to call him paper champ or anything like that. I think uh, they both have strong claims to be the best guy in the division. But, you know, one of them got beat up in the fight and the other one didn't. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Yep, and I'm probably picking you on against everyone at this point in the division, as long as he retains this level of form and durability and physicality. I think he beats everyone. Okay, specific stuff that happened in the fight that made me happy. Um, I think the most important thing 
for why Aljamain Sterling was not able to wrestle Peter Yan is twofold. So one, I talked about this in my breakdown of Sterling's wrestling. The article is titled uh, Wrestling for MMA or Wrestling Breakdown, I forget, but the entries of Aljamain Sterling. So if you just type in the entries of Aljamain Sterling or like Wrestling for MMA, Aljamain Sterling or Wrestling Breakdown, Aljamain Sterling, it should come up. Or you could just type in Aljamain Sterling at Gallo and maybe that'll do it. I don't know. Good article, though. I worked hard on that one. And uh, that's right. Sometimes I phone it in. I worked hard on that one. It was about how Sterling gets to the legs and a little bit about his finishes, but mostly just how he tries to get to the legs and how he enforces wrestling and fights. Obviously, he is a wrestler and a top player, so that's very important for him. And, uh, yeah, there, there's some mechanical issues. His singles are pretty good. Um, but he does drop to the knee, and that allows people to, you know, stop the head and limp leg out, which is a very easy defense to use in MMA because there's no shoes. So especially when you're slippery, it's very easy to limp leg um, if you know how. Not everyone does, apparently. So singles from space, I think, are really, really hard to sustain in MMA. They make you tired. Uh, they're risky. You have to do them, you know, from far away. You have to expend energy to get the shot. Whereas a high double, where you can just run someone in the cage and then procedurally work to your finishes in the cage, that's a whole different, like, endurance system. That's a whole different way to wrestle. Um, and you can sustain that a lot more. And obviously the most uh, replicable takedown is the reactive double. Someone's moving into you. You can just level change right into them you know, pick up on their momentum and, and run them through or uh, turn the corner and, and, and finish off. But your active doubles are probably the most common takedown in MMA, if I had to say, or doubles on the cage. So Sterling has shown a bit of everything, but his best looks have been against the cage, like I said earlier. Problem is, he's not really a pressure fighter. He's pressured three or four fighters, and there was Henan Barrow, who I think that was his most impressive pressure for performance because he really had to work hard at that. He actually did a lot of what he did to Jan in that fight. Uh, a lot of level faking, uh, striking combinations, uh, a, lot, a lot of different looks, a lot of mixing it up and, and clinching and striking off the clinch and in and out and just, you know, showing him a lot of, <laughs> a lot of looks, uh, a lot of level changing, uh, a lot of mixing in between the kicks and the straights uh, to get to his his level change to get to the hips because you know the person's like do i do i throw the counter do i keep my hands ready to defend we'll get to that in a second and uh yeah he just kind of confuses people <laughs> and shoots on them so uh, i think that's great and also some people like Corey sandhagen just cannot resist striking off the back foot so you get into the cage and he throws a kick off the back foot near the cage like you're just asking to get shot on there so uh it, it's a good system it works well on on a lot of people but there aren't a lot of people in the UFC that have good ring craft, so once you meet one, things are difficult. So there's that. There's that that, that Sterling is already going to have a hard time because he's going to have to pressure you onto the cage to be successful wrestling most of the time. Uh, his reactive double is bad. It's, it's just not good. <laughs> okay? And I think part of that is being tall. Uh, when you're taller than your opponent, you have to work harder to level change to get to their hips to get below the blow on the legs to get a good shot and when you're like transitioning from striking uh, in, in a taller stance especially if you just come came off a kick if you're kicking so much you have to be taller to do that like you can't be like crouching all the time kicking um, that's very difficult so I think mechanically they're just built-in issues that make it hard for him to have a good double reactively but it, it's a very like bent over reaching double I think when he actually gets good contact he can run his feet well and when he actually sets up the situation, if he's not reacting to you, uh, if he can like get you planted in place with a kick and then shoot under a counter, uh, things of that nature, 
he's good there. He's good there. He he has good finishing mechanics, but his entries are the problem, which is why I wrote about the entries because that's their finishes don't matter if your entries don't even get to the legs. Um, so it's, it's a lot of bent over reaching, and I was like, wow, that is a really good way to get hit. <laughs> yeah, just get stuffed and get hit, and that, and sure enough, it happened plenty of times. So think about that, and then think about that Peter Jan first of all, has great hips, so if you're going to start reaching for his hips, they're they're shooting straight back. He's really good at kicking his hips back. They're very strong, very flexible, uh, which is weird because his kicking flexibility isn't that good, but his, his grappling hip flexibility and mobility is great. So great hips, hard to get to, and second of all, you talk about head, hands, defense, and wrestling. Jan has that down in MMA. Uh, head defense is lowering your level to match their level, so if I'm going to shoot on you and I just put my head in the way of your head, you can't move forward. Because you're going to headbutt me. <laughs> oh, or you can get lower than them and jack them up by putting your head underneath their head and standing up. Um, you, you could defend takedowns with just your head. Swear to God. Um, pe- people, if you, if you ever want to see like a coach or someone in the room like clowning another wrestler in practice, that's usually what they do. They put both their hands behind their back and they defend only with their head and they level change and they use their head to, to finish their shots and they just take people down with their head and their neck. Um, it's unbelievable. You have to you have to see it to believe it, but really that's that's how you enforce the fundamentals of wrestling. It's like look how not involved your hands really have to be. Your hands secure the shot, but all all the rest of the work is with your head, and your legs, and your levels, and that's what's important. So Jan's really good at that, defensively and offensively, and he uses his hands super well. Uh, he is a super super persistent and intentional hand fighter wrist control uh and in the clinch he's really good at you know pushing off the biceps biceps and pulling people with collar ties and turning them off and pivoting and uh you know pummeling and you know getting pu- punching through his underhooks to get other angles uh you know torquing the wizard to get to angle off there he he's great he's great at so many different things it's actually unfair how many things he's good at but the the head hands defense and the great hips make it really really hard to double him from anything but a really clean entry and Aljamain Sterling, not known for his clean double leg entries. So I was talking about that before the fight. I didn't think it was an option for him. I think it was going to go badly. I think it was going to run him into counters. Sure enough, it did, and it exhausted him. So the very first takedown attempt is Sterling kind of shooting from far away and reaching, and Jan doesn't even let his hands get to the legs of the hips. He you know kicks his hips back, attacks the arms, and pulls them away. <laughs> so he's just this reaching double, and he says, no. He throws his hands away. And that's when I knew Sterling was screwed. Uh, right away, I'm like, oh no, he's, this is, if this is how he's going to be trying to wrestle, it's enforcing a volume game and just spamming wrestling uh, entries, then he's going to have a bad night. Actually, no, now that I think about it, you know, in terms of what Sterling can do in a rematch, he could not do that. <laughs> he could uh, take his time a little bit more, and yeah, you know, Jan's going to lock you down more if you're not spamming him with volume and trying to you know put him off all the time. But maybe try to set up your entries better maybe working on just centering your striking around really clean entries that you can try to wrestle to the back um if that was supposedly your your best win condition wrestling to his back then you should focus on that right (laughs) you shouldn't try to beat him everywhere Uh, i think it was a little bit of a split focus and it also kind of seemed because game plan was to out cardio peter yan he was saying oh i'm gonna break you i'm gonna break you um I think he expected to take him down more, 
So maybe that was part of it, but you know, you're gonna try to volume him on the feet, like you're just giving him so much information. It's it's rough. It's rough. He's a fighter that makes reads in fights. You can't give him that much. Uh, think about Izzy versus uh, Jan. Uh, that, that was a big part of why Jan won. It was minimalist. He didn't do that much. He did just enough. And then by the time that Izzy like, kind of picked it up, he was tired. And then he was getting more aggressive. And he was easier to read with the takedowns and the reactive double. Uh, I just did my analysis for that fight. I'm not done with this fight. But <laughs> there's a little extra information for you. But it's the same deal, right? Uh, information is precious, and Aljamain gave him everything in the, in the first round. Um, luckily, he had his, his best round in the second round for him, so he had to delay the inevitable, but you saw what was happening in those third and fourth rounds. The third round, Sterling had basically the least success he had in the entire fight. I think that was a 10-8 round. I think round four was on its way to being a 10-8 round. Um, maybe not, but I think that. I'm more liberal with 10 eights than most people. I think if you get dominated, <laughs> it should be a 10 eight, right? And he got knocked down in both rounds, I believe. So, what was I saying? Defense. Yeah. So when uh when Sterling actually did get to the leg or get to anything, it was it was the same stuff we've seen every time. That Jan's really good at torquing on the wizard. He's good at fighting hands. Uh, one of the first times that Sterling got the second time that Sterling got to a shot in the cage, uh, I knew immediately he didn't have it because he had the leg. But Jan had his other hand controlled, so he couldn't connect the hands on the single. So how are you going to finish it? Um, whenever they were in the clinch, Jan was really good at you know stopping the underhook with a wizard. Or it was funny when Don's back was flat against the cage. It actually didn't matter if Sterling had an underhook because there was no way he could turn him off from there because he was he was square on with him. So in a bunch of situations against the cage, Jan wasn't even really worrying about the underhook, and he could actually just stick his hand straight down and pummel that in and, and get his own underhook and pull that up and uh, and turn them off the cage. So he was doing really good at pulling on the collar and, and getting that angle off the cage. Uh, when he wasn't on the cage, when they were trying to approach it, he was uh, really good at you know pivoting off and turning Aljo off and putting him on the cage. And he was just doing an awesome job overall. I am working on an article for this. So I'm, I just rewatched it and, and got my clips. I haven't broken them up yet, but I have all the footage that I want. So... I'll probably have better things to say in the article, but I, I, these these are the things that are standing out to me right now. Oh, and the offense. Oh my goodness, the offense. First of all, Aljamain Sterling, what are you doing spinning on him from that range so often? He kept spinning on him. I guess he practiced that setup a bunch of times, and that was part of his game plan. That was part of his strike arsenal, so he like just muscle memory couldn't stop doing it. But oh my god, like the level changes into the spinning elbows, like, he's, he's been fighting your hands. He's been super intentional about matching your levels and fighting your hands and, uh, you know, intercepting you and clinching you when you try to wrestle him. So when you level change and, and turn your back to him, he's going to take your back. He did it every time. He did it every time. Someone was saying, is that, a, like, a record for times having your back taken in a fight? I'm not sure. Um, but I don't think Sterling expected Jan to wrestle him offensively. I didn't expect it because I didn't think Sterling would be that careless <laughs> like if we're talking about someone opening themselves up to having their back taken, it was Sterling. It was Sterling who did it. It was Sterling who got his back taken. No, rear standing, yeah, but also on the ground he got his back taken twice. Uh, guess who didn't get their back taken? Peter Jan. Uh, okay, I'll take this one opportunity. I've clowned him a little bit already. Just you know, once, once for every podcast. Uh, ben Cohen, you're a clown. Uh, <laughs> he already admitted it. He already admitted it. He wrote an article specifically about how the clinch was going to be a place where, where Sterling could win. 
I said, I think you are forgetting that Jan is just flat better than him there. And he didn't listen. And yep, I was right. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> it's a good article, though. Uh, it's a good article to look at, especially to see what was different about what Jan was doing and, and why those situations didn't matter. Although, there were at least two times where Sterling did you know, shoot reactively and catch the angle and had the underhook, had the seatbelt across the back, and just immediately Jan either got the whizzer and turned in, or Jan didn't even get the whizzer and, you know, pummeled inside and got the underhook and turned in. Like, by the time that Starling was actually able to get those angles, his arms were pretty shot, and it was just, he could not stop Jan from pummeling in on him. Uh, you can see it against the cage, too, in round three or four. Uh, whenever Sterling did try to get to those cage positions, it was not hard for for Jan to get dominant ties and turn him off. Um, so yeah, I, I think the volume striking game disabled his wrestling. I think it made it really hard for him to wrestle. Uh, but yeah, the offense was amazing from Jan. Uh, from rear standing, he was uh, working really hard to trap an arm. He was doing a body lock over one arm and, and across the body. Uh, so not double <laughs> over both arms, but one, one trapped one arm trapped, and uh, in the first round, I think it, it, I think it was the first round, he hit that trap arm mat return and, and dunked him on his head. I think if he got a little more height on that, he could have actually slammed him pretty hard in his head, but Sterling caught his fall a little bit with his legs, so didn't knock him out. If you remember, my man uh, Mo Miller got a trap arm mat return knockout uh, in LFA uh, last year, I believe. So I was hoping that was going to happen. Uh, but yeah, he, he was also like foot sweeping him from the back, and, and that's how he took his back the second time. And uh, every time Sterling like came in on him and switched stances, his stance is so long that Jan was just... Uh, first of all, he tried the leaping Osotogari twice, and I think almost got it once. Uh, but yeah, every time Sterling came in on him and they clinched and he bladed his stance so he couldn't get need, he was hitting that Osotogari, pushing on the neck, turning him off with the wrist, and uh, kicking out that leg and with an outside trip. That is the first technique you learn in judo. I've taken many introductory judo classes, <laughs> and that is always the first one. It's part of your warm-ups. It's a very, very, very basic move, um, but it works so well because if people don't have good footwork, don't have good positioning in the clinch, it's there every time. Uh, actually, as I record this, uh, I just published a, a video on the Fight Sites YouTube channel about John Jones hitting Osotogari uh, off the clinch knee. Uh, Matt Hamill will square with him, hit him with the clinch knee, didn't want to get hit with the knee anymore, so he bladed his stance, and that presented the leg to trip, and then he hit it. Um, he's done that a bunch of times. I believe uh, he's not the only one. <laughs> he's not the only one. So clinch striking often opens up those kinds of opportunities, and it was there over and over again. Uh, I, I think, you know, if Jan wasn't so certain that he could continue to push him and, and lead toward the breaking point in the feet, I think he would have grappled with him and, and top-gamed him. I saw like a couple people crying about that, saying like, "Oh, he didn't want to grapple with him. Like, why? Why did he need to <laughs> make him stand with you? That, that was it's going your way." Uh, but yeah, so I, I'll definitely have a lot more to say about it in the article. But those are my initial thoughts. And uh, oh, another thing that changed. All right, real quick, the ring craft was so important. So I, I want to talk about this. Um, the thing that changed with Sterling being able to push him back, and again, small cage, so it was going to be easier no matter what. But the thing that made it very difficult for him was when Jan changed from the high guard to like double forearms to actually using a more active guard. And hand separated a little bit, lead hand got longer, and he's doing a lot more hand fighting, a lot more parrying, and his eyes were just open. So when you know Sterling was doing the things he was trying to do to push him back, like jabbing and kicking, 
suddenly Jan's defense looked totally different. He saw everything. He blocked everything. He slipped everything. His counters were there. That's when he really started to put Sterling on the back foot. It happens in round three. In round three, if you watch that again, uh, thing, things change pretty drastically, and that's when things start to fall apart. So maybe part of Jan's game plan was to you know, high guard and defend and, and get a look at everything he's going to try to do and let him wear himself out a bit and then settle into the fight and, and start to pick him apart and, and counter him and, and punish him and turn the turn the momentum super hard against him. So yeah, I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> that was a great fight. I'm looking forward to writing about it. And the main event between uh, Jan, Polish power, <laughs> Bakovic, and Israel Adesanya... That was pretty cool, too. I mean, I was definitely rooting for Izzy. I like having, you know, dominant champions at, at higher weight classes, you know, who are actually good. So, I don't know. I, I thought Izzy was better. So, I, I wanted him to win. It was pretty simple that way. But, Jan did an amazing job. What I talked about already was the minimalist approach. Didn't give him too much information. Was just stingy, which is very much what Yola Romero did, except without the you know, actual tools on the lead to have a normal kickboxing match otherwise. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he looked very stingy, so Izzy couldn't kick him for free, and he couldn't get his entries for free. So he once once he felt like it was a little too even on the feet, Izzy got a little more uh, eager to lead with his hands. And that's when the counters started to show. And, and at first, it was just like check hooking and, and trying to counter hook from Jan, and uh, they weren't really landing, and, and Izzy was in the high guard. I think just the problem for Izzy was he was having such a hard time getting his own offense off that it made him frustrated, and it made him, you know, feel that pressure to lead, and that's when the counters started to open up more and more because he was just getting a little more reckless trying to do it. So Jan's kicking defense really led the way um, because if he, if he you know, could get kicked for free, then Izzy wouldn't have to do anything with his hands. He could just... You know, kick out, kick away at his legs, and uh, you know, score points that way. But he he forced Izzy to work. He forced Izzy to lead. Um, and, and on on his own lead, Jan was doing pretty well. Uh, didn't see like the ugly, bad blitzes that we saw in other fights. They were pretty short, responsible leads to get Izzy backing up, and then he just kicked the body on, on exit, which is something that people knew was there. But I myself did not think that Jan could be disciplined enough with his hands on the lead to lead to those situations without getting countered. And he did get countered a little bit, but he could take it. Um, it wasn't like he was getting knocked out easily. And uh, Izzy took the shots very well uh, also. I thought that was impressive. So I think just the fact that he was able to have this competitive fight with him and make him frustrated and make him work and jab with him and, uh, you know, wear him, out, wear him out a little bit, you know, having to try so much harder to fight a guy so much bigger uh, than his usual opponents... And, uh, yeah, by the time that he got tired, that, that reactive double was there. He jabbed into the double. You know, great horsepower on, on the double. Strong drive. Jan's a pretty good athlete, given that. And uh, Izzy was a little slow in the defense. He tried to whizzer off and start to angle and get his walk his feet back, but he's just a little slow to react. The instincts weren't quite there. He was a little tired. And he got run through on the first one. Didn't have much of a bottom game. And the second time he did it, Izzy's legs just were not under him at all. Um, and it was a very easy takedown, so... Cool, cool game plan, cool execution there from from Jan. I liked that a lot. Um, I think both of them would beat John Jones. <laughs> I don't think John Jones can replicate the game plan. It's like because Izzy got taken down twice, and and top gamed. Everyone's like, oh well, John Jones would kill him. It's like John Jones doesn't really do that anymore. <laughs> like his shots are a lot sloppier. The setups aren't as good, 
And again, it's not like he took Izzy down right away. He had to force him into this really tough fight. Uh, and, and I think the striking is going to look a lot different if Izzy fights John, but I don't think he will because he just lost. So uh, hopefully Jan fights John Jones because I think that would go well for him. You know, John would have a hard time kicking him, doesn't really have leads with his hands, and John is super kickable. So I think that would be a, like Blockovitz would have a field day. I just don't really know what his defensive wrestling is like. I know Rockhold couldn't take him down, but Rockhold isn't a good cage wrestler like that, so not really a factor in my mind. But, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that fight, how the wrestling ended up going down the way it did. Uh, Drew Dober is not a very good wrestler, unfortunately, so he lost <laughs> to Islam Makhachev. Uh, just did not have good defense there. Um, I, I figured that's how that was going to go. Uh, Cruz Kenny. Dominic Cruz, man, his footwork, his wrestling footwork has gotten so much worse. So much worse. His shots are sloppy as heck. Uh, really bad work <laughs> on those takedown attempts. Just like how I was talking about Sterling. Sterling was doing those leaning forward, you know, bending over, reaching doubles. That's what Cruz is doing. Cruz used to cut angles to really, really nice level changes and entries. Uh, really technical wrestling. Um, that that was always the best part of his game. That it looked, he looked terrible <laughs> in this fight. I don't know if it's a lack of practice, but and, and Kenny had good hips, so it wasn't like easy to get to his legs, but. It was a pretty poor effort on that part, but when he finally did get the takedown, you saw what he was going for. He's looking to run, you know, run the takedown uh, with, with that long-armed entry and hit the knee-tap finish. So with that kind of, basically, it doesn't matter if you have a deep entry because all he needs to do is to be on the legs driving and then on one side come up to the underhook while driving and then as soon as you get to that underhook, you punch it through and you uh, collapse the, the opposite side leg to, to throw him over. Uh, that's what he hit in the third round. I think he took him down twice in the third round. I think he doubled him in the cage as well. But, yeah, that's what he's going for. But just the injuries are so bad. And, uh, yeah, Casey, Casey Kenny's hips are too good for that to work when he wasn't tired. Um, that's all I have to say about that one. And uh, Ascara, Ascara versus Joseph Benavidez. I thought Benavidez uh, could have done a better job. Uh, but something that happens when you get older is muscular endurance isn't really there. I talked about Aljamain Sterling's arms getting tired and making it harder for him to pummel and hand fight. Uh, same thing with here with Benavidez. Uh, he was doing a decent job the first time Eskarov wrestled with him, uh, fighting grips. But after the second or third time he had to fight his grips, he just could not do it anymore. And that's why it's so hard for him to, to scramble with him. And I also think Eskarov knew the way that Benavidez scrambled. So he put on that body triangle. Because you know, without the body triangle, it's a lot easier for Benavidez to sit up and post and get height and turn in. Which is how he gets away from back control most of the time with the body triangle. Um, way harder to do that, and I just think uh, Ascaro fought a very intelligent fight, and I'm interested to see if he fights Figueredo because Figueredo's weakness, his biggest weakness in my mind, is his defensive wrestling. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Kai Kara France was getting grappled by Rogerio Bontorin, and got up at the very last second, knocked him out, which was pretty cool. Um, Tim Elliott, man, looked really good. Um, He's just a really good wrestler. <laughs> good single leg entries, good good finishes on that. You know, feeds feeds the arms to better positions really well to get height in the leg, um, and it's got a good top game. So I, I like when he's just a like a come forward wrestle first fighter. Um, he's good there. He's got good folk too, good folk style, uh, good rides, good wrist control, good at breaking down posture and making it hard for people to break away right away. Uh, a lot of the scrambling happens after that first contact. He's really good at uh, stopping people and, and bringing them back down. 
not locking down the control fully, but just, you know, elongating the scramble and uh, making sure that they can't get up right away. And you can see even against Demetrius Johnson, that was there. Um, Sean Brady. Sean Brady is not a very good striker, but his back is huge. And uh, he hit this nice, like, football tackle style double. Like, I, I talk about the double on the head with the wrong side. So when you hit a double like traditionally, you do it, uh, you know, let's say I'm, I'm leading with my right leg and they're leading with their right leg. It means we're in a closed stance matchup and, and from a wrestling perspective. And my knee is going to penetrate in between their legs and my head's going to go on the left, in the left hip. Okay, and then I can turn the corner. I can use my head to push on the hip as I drive to the right. Um, so that's a traditional double. But in this case, he had a guy whose stance was... Uh, you know, pretty much squared up so he shot along his stance straight at him and uh, I think he reached across and pulled in the far leg straight in front of him pulled in that far leg and just bowled him right over um, which is something you really only get in striking you know you don't really get that stance happening in wrestling very often it's a very side-on stance so uh, that was a cool double leg from him and uh, I knew he was gonna get it easy because in the first round when he took him down it was like a terrible situation to be shooting in. He finished the double on the low double on the ground very easily. So I'm like, all right, there's no way uh, he's not going to win this. <laughs> and yeah, his top game is very good. Um, I'm interested in seeing him again. His striking needs a lot of work, but very, very physical. Good top game, uh, decent wrestler. So, And he's a Philly guy, so obviously I got to like him. And uh, that's all I want to talk about. Also, shout out Trevin Jones for getting that knockout. We talked about him on the podcast. Friend of a uh, friend of a friend, Ethan from Virginia Tech from a Southeast Southeast Regional Training Center. Um, it's a cool performance there. Next UFC card is Edwards Muhammad. I would love to talk about Leon Edwards, but I think I'll wait until after the fight to talk about all the clinchy stuff that happens because he's a very good clinch fighter. We're getting back-to-back weeks of very elite clinch fighters with Edwards and uh, and Jan. Um, anyone else on that card that interests me specifically? Gavin Tucker, another great clinch fighter. Um, looks like it's it. Han Yaya is fighting. He's a great grappler, but I've never been impressed with his wrestling, but we'll see if he does anything there. And, uh, yeah, should be cool. Should be cool. Uh, Nasrat Hakparas is fighting. I hope he is fighting a wrestler because I think he is very bad there. I'd like to see that happen again. <laughs> All right, cool. That's it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this breakdown. Obviously, there's going to be more detail in the article for Jan Sterling. And uh, there's also going to be an MMA podcast this week, and we'll probably talk about all this again. And uh, Patreon. Subscribe to us on Patreon. There's lots of commentaries there for MMA, for wrestling, hopefully for other sports soon. Oh, there's lots of boxing commentaries. Um, yeah, check it out, and you can use higher tiers to gain access to our Discord server and to request custom content, like podcast topics. So if you want me to talk about anything on this podcast or the MMA podcast or elsewhere, uh, you can pay $10, and I will do it, and it won't be quick. It'll be like a solid 10-15 minutes at least. Cool? Cool. All right, talk to everybody next week.